Hello and welcome to the second podcast of English 264 Online. Once again, I'm your instructor, Jonathan Glantz. In the first podcast, I mentioned that there were two English literature surveys at Mercer, English 263 and 264. English 263 covers the material from roughly 1000 AD, it usually starts with Beowulf, and runs through about 1800. And English 264, our class, begins around 1800 and runs towards the present, normally around 1950, at least in the material that I teach during the regular semester. And you might wonder, if you're going to have two courses about English literature, why have one cover roughly 800 years and the other only 150 years? It doesn't really seem fair or, or an equal distribution. Well, the reason is that the world began to change from what had been traditional and consistent for many, many centuries, and it began to change around 1800 into the world that we recognize as modern, as the world that we live in. For example, before 1800, it was generally the case that the power in England consisted of those who were part of the aristocracy. Uh, power was concentrated in a relatively small number of people who generally were the landed gentry. They owned the largest holdings of land. Their power came through the influence of people who worked their land and who uh, their money came from investments in their land. And their power was inherited uh, so that an, an account's son would also be, uh, his eldest son would also be a count would also sit in the House of Lords and make policy decisions. For the rest of society, they primarily lived in rural areas. Their economic labor was primarily agricultural. Um, power came through land as opposed to through money. Um, many of these traditions were holdovers from the Middle Ages and the, and the feudalism of the way society had been set up. And it was also the case that Religious faith was generally unified and widespread. Now that's not to gloss over the fact that there have been a large number of relig religious conflicts in England. Uh, when Henry VIII broke off from the Catholic Church and founded the Church of England, uh, in part because the Catholic Church would not get him, give him a divorce from Anne Boleyn, he uh, definitely set the path of faith in, in a different direction in England. But it's also the case that most people went to church, most people believed what they were told, there was very little religious doubt uh, tolerated or, or, or even um, widespread. On the other hand, uh, after 1800, a number of trends began which ended up in the world that we have today, such that society became more and more democratic. Uh, that is, political power began to be dist distributed to a larger and larger number of people. Uh, first giving the vote to the middle classes in the 1830s in England, then giving vote to the working classes in the 1860s, uh, giving the vote to women in the 20th century. All of these tended to redistribute power out of the hands of the few and into the, into the hands of many. It's also the case that over the course of this century, England began to be much more urban as opposed to rural more and more people moved from countryside into the cities uh, in large part because of, of new jobs. Uh, to give you an example, in 1800 there was only one city in England with a population over 100,000. That is roughly the size of Macon. And that city was London, which had about a million people. Fifty years later, there were six cities in England with a population over 100,000, and England and London itself had three million. And by the end of the century, in 1901, 
there were 30 cities in England with a population over 100,000, and London itself had passed 6 million. So huge increase in population in urban areas. Many of these um, new cities had been merely market towns or, or um, crossroads in the Middle Ages, but because of the Industrial Revolution, uh, because they had access to coal and water, because later they had access to railway lines after the 1840s, they began to be centers for population. Uh, if you look on, our, on the website, on the section on um, you know, resources and visual aids in the section on maps, you can see a contrasting population density of England in 1701 versus 1911, and a very marked movement of people towards larger groups, which has effects on, on society, has effects on, on the quality of life, both good and bad. A further change that occurred in part because of industrialism and in part because of the theories of Adam Smith and his Wealth of Nations, published in 1776, was that the economy began to shift from one based on land to one based on money, from one based on uh, feudal traditions to one based on capitalist traditions. And you began to have much um, more social mobility than you, in society than you had, had had before. And finally, you had a move away from unified, generalized religious faith uh, to much more of a generalized religious doubt and questioning. Uh, this occurred in part because of the revolutions that were going on in scientific discoveries, in geology, um, in biology. Uh, Charles Darwin's uh, publications certainly accelerated this process, but it was at work before him. And we will see any number of authors during the course of this session who faced uh, a crisis of faith try in trying to understand what was, um, what, they sh what was true, what they should put their, their belief in. Now, it was certainly the case that people living in this time, uh, especially the intellectuals, so writers and artists and poets and philosophers, saw themselves as living in a new world. And that produced a number of responses. One response, fairly natural, was excitement about the new opportunities, about the new possibilities open to them. And we'll read a number of authors who were very optimistic that uh, all of the old forces of oppression that were holding people back, all of the old inequities were going to be changed and this was a time for, for new opportunities, a new heaven on earth. On the other hand, also a natural response was a great deal of apprehension and anxiety about these changes, a uh, fear of what was going to happen next, a fear of the unknown, um, a fear that if you give up your old traditions, you won't have anything to hold on to, nothing to replace them with. And over the course of the century began that acceleration of change, of rapid shifts and, and shocks to old assumptions and understandings that we're still going through today, that we still feel um, every day might bring some new discovery, whether in science or in health issues, uh, which would tend to unsettle what we had felt certain of the day before. Um, discussions going on currently, for example, how many planets we have in our solar system. You were probably taught when you were in elementary school that we had nine. There's some question whether Pluto is a planet or not anymore. There's some question whether there are perhaps two large rocks out uh, around where Pluto is in our solar system, which may or may not have a greater claim to be planets than Pluto does. So we're used to, although still perhaps unsettled by 
this feeling of the world in a constant state of flux. Um, but the Romantics, the people of the early 19th century, the late 18th century, were those who first faced it and who began to try to come to terms with it, began to see what influence an individual could have on this new world. In your reading for this summer session, particularly in the earlier works, keep an eye open for places where authors try to come to terms with this new world, where they try to either find an analogy to what's happening in the past, or they try to project onto the future trends that were currently going on. This is a, perhaps a, a natural human tendency. Um, it's often wrong, perhaps, uh, or often inadequate in its attempt. But what we would take, I guess, as, as natural and human experience is perhaps invented during the period shortly after 1800, when you had a, a generations trying to come to terms with the world they lived in and trying to figure out what is it like, who are we like, what is our future likely to hold. Uh, I'll continue our discussions with uh, the reactions to the revolution in France, which again tended to uh, accelerate this sense of change, this sense of, of questions about the future and about the, the present, in the next podcast. Until then, goodbye.